Welcome to Give and Take. It's the podcast where yours truly, Scott Jones, talks with artists, authors, theologians, political pundits, media people, and assorted others about the lens through which they experience life. My guest today is Reverend Kenneth Tanner. He's the pastor of Church of the Holy Redeemer in Rochester Hills, Michigan. He's also written for numerous websites and magazines, including the Huffington Post and Sojourners. We had a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I give you Kenneth Tanner. Kenneth, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Scott. Good to be here. You are a pastor and you live in Michigan. I I just was in Michigan this summer and I found it to be lovely. I was in Ann Arbor and you're a pastor in an Anglican church there, right? That's right. It's, I've actually seen pictures. That's a lovely picturesque kind of church. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like, uh, it got picked up in a, you know, a hurricane in Kansas and kind of landed in the middle of, uh, suburban Detroit. It's a little out of place, white, you know, with the steeple and the whole nine red doors and all that. So I was like, you called me a couple weeks ago and I thought you were traveling because I saw you like, with people outside, like taking pictures and putting Facebook videos, I'm like, okay, so he must be like on vacation. He's kind of, and you're like, no, no, I'm just out. So you have spent the past several weeks walking at night, and in most of the time, I've seen you in clericals, like yeah. a clerical collar, yeah. and and often a baseball cap, but sometimes not. And you have been talking about the incarnation, yeah, and the significance of the incarnation. Oh yeah. Now, okay, this is not. A traditional church growth strategy. When I look at when I <laughs> when I look at the websites and the blogs, that nobody says, "Hey, let's do the reflective incarnational walk." So why? What 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 drove you to do a practice like this as a pastor out in Michigan? Uh, yeah, so it goes back a little ways, right? I was raised Pentecostal, um, and we celebrated Christmas. Uh, and, uh, we talked about, um, you know, God, uh, coming, the son coming as a baby. Um, but, uh, you know, there are so many implications of God becoming flesh that, I, you know, I didn't really, uh, I didn't understand or know anything about until I got into college and, uh, my Pentecostal experience, uh, by that time, my parents were in charismatic churches and, and I was, uh, you know, I was bristling and, and, and struggling under a kind of, I mean, there's so much I love about Pentecostal and charismatic, um, the movements and, and there's so many good things we could talk about. But to say something that was, I was struggling with was their kind of escapism, um, that comes in, you know, how they think about the end times and, um, even how they think about their own lives in the world. Um, and, uh, this this just inability to kind of wrestle with suffering uh and uh you know kind of denial of of you know material creation and so i started reading the fathers and particularly Irenaeus, and uh started discovering that you know this is a god who comes into the world uh you know and uh and not only makes the world and loves the world but uh but takes becomes what he makes uh, it's interesting, right? Like you could be my senses in my in my experience. You could spend a lot of time in many different sort of Christian churches in North America. I, I'm sure it's probably true in Western Europe and lots of other places, and actually not ever hear about the significance of the incarnation. I, I mean, you might hear that Jesus came, died for our sins, something like that, but what you're talking about sort of a different view of material reality, of personhood, like that this kind of changes everything about how we see the world. Why is it that it seems that 
that can be so so ignored yeah or glossed over what, what do you what do you think is the cause of that uh well I, part of it is i mean a good good emphasis on on the cross um and people uh you know i think in a, in american christianity have focused on the sacrifice of god um for us uh but uh, you know i i think the the big gaps in american faith and worship and life uh are an understanding of the creation uh that god is creator um that god uh you know that god comes amongst us and uh you know he's god takes on our vulnerability god takes on our disability god takes on our our, uh, you know, our frailty, our, um, our, our, you know, all the things that, uh, that make it hard to, to be human, uh, and, uh, and draws near to us. And I, and I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the answer. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a sociologist of religion in America. Uh, you know, the Randall Barmers of the world might be able to tell us a little more about, uh, why that is. But, um, I, all I know is it's, it is it's ab it's very very absent and um i i think we need to recover it we need to recover it boldly we need to recover it uh because it it changes our vision of of everything it actually i think it when we start with creation incarnation it ends up changing how we view the cross too do you know the book by philip lee uh i think it's called against, against the protestant gnostics sure. yeah do you know that book yeah. yeah yeah and he talks about how you have this sort of a, th- a couple of different things in ancient, we see some modern Gnosticism, right? Like, mm-hmm. like an alienated re- humanity is the f- is sort of the first kind of emphasis in, in this kinds of Gnosticism versus the good creation, like you're talking about. He talks mm-hmm. about um, salvation through escape versus salvation through pilgrimage, yeah. um, knowing yourself versus the role of the believing community, um, a spiritual elite versus a faith of, for ordinary people, and. Things like synch- selective syncretism versus particularity. I mean, it's interesting, right? How yeah, that study's incredible, and, and how and, true. and how these ancient p- thought patterns just repeat themselves. Yes, yeah, we uh, we're, we're stuck um, in in viewing uh, the creation. I think a lot of American Christians are are stuck in because of the fall. They think of the world as essentially fallen. They think of humanity as essentially. Um, uh, the world is inherently evil, um, and humanity participating in that essential evil. And, uh, and, and that's why I think it's so important to get back to a good creator who creates the world from nothing because out of, out of nothing more than the love that he always is or they always are together and, um, that they make mankind in their image and they make mankind good and and there's no you can't blast that essential goodness out of the creation or out of humanity um despite the fact that we walked away from uh from their community of love and 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 uh, because we were made in their image unleash chaos and and creation and um in existence do, do do you think do you find as you talk about these themes that they resonate in different ways for people outside traditional communities of faith or that are sort of at the margins of Christianity. I mean, is that as you're doing like these kind of worship? No question about it. How how is it? What are some of the, some of the responses you find yourself getting? Well, I, I just think because the church has, has, has not really taught creation 
and the church has ignored to some extent, um, you know, the, the, the belief that God became one with us, that in fact, um, God is human in Jesus uh, forever, not, you know, not for a moment, but God in the person of the Son identifies himself forever with humanity. So this changes the way we look at everyone. And, you know, uh, there, we, we're, the first thing that we want to understand about anyone that we encounter in the world, and that's anybody that we might be bringing the gospel to, is that God is their creator. God, God made them. Um, and uh, that's a, that's a basic Christian commitment is to understand that uh, I'm encountering someone whom God has made and invested his image in. Uh, and secondly, that, uh, that the son has in becoming flesh made himself the brother of every, uh, human being. Uh, he has forever taken on flesh. The, he sits at the right hand of the father in, uh, human flesh. And so, for those who've heard that God uh, hates the world, God hates his creation, God hates humanity, it's good news to find out that uh, not only does God love the world and God loves humanity, but God so identifies himself with the human condition and with being human as to forever become human. And that's, um, that's just, these are just not, you know, this is left off the radar screen, uh, off the teleprompters of, of Christianity. And that's a problem. Now, when you talk about that, the goodness of creation, mm-hmm. and I think most modern people are many, you know, inside the church and outside the church, although some inside the church don't hold to this, but I think most people think that the world we live in now that we experience is a product of evolutionary forces and, and, mm. and things like that. So, so how, so if God, how do you how do you address concerns about hey, if God is good and is Christian so good, why is the process of getting us to this point so red and tooth and claw and so mm. violent and so you know why we th- think dinosaurs you know died of painful arthritic things and they're parasitic? I mean, th- there's there's so much in creation that just seems like gratuitous ways to inflict suffering. So I mean, how do you hold that intention when you talk about? the good creation with, with, with things that seem to be very tragic. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you get back to, you know, to prehistoric and, um, you know, there's obviously in the fossil record, you know, death is, is, is happening, um, uh, even before, um, uh, human uh, beings as we are constituted now are, are around and uh, it seems to be part of the natural order. Um, so I think it does present challenges to, to us uh, in the sense that we've traditionally thought of the sin of Adam and Eve as in, um, is bringing, um, you know, suffering and death into the world. Um, I, I, I don't have a good answer, um, for, uh, why animals, uh, suffer in, uh, creation, uh, or certainly before, um, we, we had the history that we have, uh, the Genesis record of, uh, this relationship with, with human beings. Um, I don't have a good answer, Scott. I don't, I don't know anybody has a good answer to that question. Could, could you say that creation's goodness is not in its initial perfection, but it's in its perfectibility? Like, like, like it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's goodness isn't, isn't erased by the fact that the lion eats the lamb, but it's the kind of place where the lion can lay with the lamb eventually. Like it's perfectible. Yeah. Well, that's, I think it's helpful. I, I haven't really thought much about that. Um, I, I do 
believe that um, the Genesis account is trying to, to tell us that there is something original in the sense of when God was making everything, um, and he looked on it and he declares this kind of goodness over it where, you know, what, uh, you know, whether it took, um, you know, uh, millions of years or it took seven days is unimportant. God is the one, the personal God creates this world. Uh, he loves this world and he makes it good. And so I think that's something that we trust rather than that we know, like, you know, like, or that we can prove. Um, and, uh, so I think, uh, Christian commitment to a good world, um, is a trust, uh, rather than something that we would be able to scientifically demonstrate. Um, but, uh, yes, and, you know, I, I, it's obviously not as God intended now. Uh, and, um, we believe that he is taking it to a place where all things, um, are in harmony, all things are well. Um, death is no longer, uh, effective in the world. The disease is no longer effective. The kind of violent storms that people are, uh, experiencing in Houston, uh, right now in Corpus Christi and Long Texas, um, you know, uh, will, will, will no longer be part. The destruction and death will no longer be part of, uh, this world. Uh, this world will be transformed into everything that God intended. So. It's like Ghostbusters, dogs and cats. Living together. Yeah. yeah. Do you, so, you know, I was, there's a, Love Bill Murray. I do, Bill Murray's the best dude. Bill Murray's, oh, he's a one, God. he's a, such an interesting guy. You know, great I, actor. I, I was reading, I've been reading, uh, Brian Garish's dogmatics and outline. And he talks about how basically mm. that there's primary faith and that the, the biblical faith kind of builds upon primary faith. But he thinks everybody needs to have faith to sort of believe that in the modern world that, that science is possible, that there's a predictability and routinization to the world and to believe that there's like moral orders and structures, that there's all these kind of, that are meaningful, that he thinks everybody kind of has this primal faith, whether they think of it that way or not, things they can't exactly mm. prove or demonstrate, but that are not irrational. Yeah, sure. So is that where you find like a connection point? Do you see as you're talking about some of these themes, it, 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 do you find that people you're tapping into a sort of latent, like kind of kind of undeveloped faith that people maybe don't know they have? Oh, absolutely. I I I, I think that's true. I was just thinking about this the other day. Um, I, you know, I I think um, we've forgotten um, who we are, and that part of the church's task is to remind the human race, and uh, and actually to declare to the cosmos who you know its origin. Uh, in God, um, that we came from him. As a society, we've forgotten that there is a loving God who has made us. And, uh, and it leads to all, so many terrible things, not only for us, but for the, for the, for, for the creation. And uh, it is the task of the gospel to speak, um, uh, for God and to remind, uh, people, uh, who they are, who they truly are and really are. And I do find that people who have been kind of, I, I don't know, uh, their knowledge of Christianity is um, either they've been in abusive religious contexts of various kinds, and that those can be sacramental, those can be fundamentalist, those can be charismatic or Pentecostal, or they have no faith at all, and all they know about Christianity is what they've learned from the general culture, which is slightly hostile, and some people would say very hostile, to Christian faith, um, you know, yes, 
they, you know, they start to, they start to be reminded of something I think that they, that they inherently know. Now, you're a guy that you would describe yourself, I think, as an evangelical, right? I mean, in an Anglican tradition, but you, you wouldn't shy away from that label, right? So when you're talking about, well, I'm thinking if you, you know, for people that are Christians who have a sort of robust sense of the Bible as God's story in, in an authoritative way and have, have a very high view of the unique work of Jesus Christ, is it hard to te- to talk about that positive redemptive message when 81% of so-called kind of Bible-believing Christians voted for Donald Trump? I mean, more people voted for Trump, they voted more for Trump than they did for George W. Bush. I mean, I mean, yeah. when Franklin Graham got up there and said, you know, next to Donald Trump, announced him at that rally in Phoenix and says, we've, you know, sinned by flaunting our sexual immorality to the world. And he's standing next to Trump on thought, that's a joke, right? This is irony, right? I'm waiting for Alanis Morissette to be played. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, how does, how does that affect the church's witness? How do, I mean, does it, do you, do you see that, do, do you get questions about that? Well, how do you respond? Well, I, you know, I first of all, I, I, I you know, I think uh, the church has made, always makes mistakes when it aligns itself with, you know, various political parties or uh, movements. I think the church has a message that impacts politics, uh, but uh, it's it's always a mistake to marry ourselves to particular candidates or particular parties or particular platforms. Uh, and, uh, but no, it, it's devastating, especially I find to, to millennials, uh, when they see, uh, you know, people who are leaders in the church, um, aligning themselves with, uh, with personalities that, and, and, and in this case, I mean, that's part of the problem is you've got someone who, as our president, who doesn't, who claims to be Christian, but doesn't show any evidence or very little evidence of humility, of uh, vulnerability, of uh, 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 the capacity to just say, hey, I was wrong. Um, you know, you look at what, what happened in Charlottesville. He came out with one statement, then he comes out with another statement, then he comes out with another statement. And, and in nowhere along the line of, you know, do we see this person saying, you know, Maybe I said, maybe I shouldn't have said it that way. I should have said it this way. Or maybe this particular position I'm wrong about. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're, they're scandalized, um, by, you know, people, um, that uh, seem to be, st- I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, and, and, and I, and I hate to pick on, again, I, I love so much about what's going on in certain places in charis- the charismatic movement. But there is this, uh, man named Rick Joyner. Um, who is a, a fairly popular uh, figure, Christian figure amongst Pentecostal and charismatic Christians, who uh, just this week said that, um, you know, why, speaking of white America and, and, and of America in general, that we had gotten over racism, you know, um, until we elected President Obama. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then and, it came back. And, and and, 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 and President Obama is the reason that uh, white supremacy is on the rise again. Well, when my young people and millennials, people I'm meeting on the street, uh, hear things like that, and they don't always hear it because, you know, sometimes it gets elevated on the Internet. They wouldn't even know about it because it's not their world, but it gets heightened in the media and on social media. And they see that and they see the church connected with this kind of ignorance. Um, yes. I mean, it devastates face sometimes. I, I, I was saying to somebody the other day, you know, people always want to come to me as a pastor. They wanted me dotting I's and crossing T's. 
about this thing or that thing or why are we doing it this way or that way? And I'm like, you don't even get it. I'm I'm struggling for the young people that are in my life. I'm struggling just to keep them in a place where they can affirm uh, faith in this gospel uh, because of the things that they're encountering in the world. It's unbelievable how many of these young people that are raised in churches are becoming atheists or not attending church at all because of the things that they're wrestling with that they encounter from Christian leaders. Yeah, it's funny. Bill Maher said something. He's like, look, I'm not, he had Ralph Reed on his show. He said, look, I'm not a Christian, but you guys use this term antichrist. And he said, I mean, look, there's no more antichrist than Donald Trump. He brags about riches. He brags about like shaming people. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, this is, this is what you guys should be identifying. I thought, yeah, there's something... I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught and frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find? Gracious conversations characterized by a particular combination of wit, empathy, reflection, and human understanding. If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. Being a Patreon sponsor is really just you being a patron of an art form you enjoy and are passionate about. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David and Winona Babico, Peter Stegenwald, Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham, Jordan and Danny Morseberger, Josh Redder, Ellis Brazil, and David Zoll. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. But it's interesting, too, that like because of this comments on race, the business leaders all left the business council. But only like one evangelical leader left his evangelical alliance. I mean, that's I mean, yeah. the, ir- create, the irony creates problems. Yeah. I mean, I you know, we pray for the president um, in all of our public gatherings. I pray for the president. Um, the president is a, is a human being who is loved by God, um, who uh, created him. He Christ is his brother. Um, I, I want to see, um, as I do with everyone, I want to see, uh, our president flourish as a human being, um, and to understand, um, what it, what it means to, um, to, uh, be encountered by God who loves him and, uh, to, uh, become responsible, uh, for others, um, under God. And, uh, so, you know, I, I always want to temper my concern. I mean, I obviously have a massive concern with the way the church has aligned itself with, um, uh, the president, uh, on many things. But I also want to always come back to, uh, the church's responsibility is to proclaim the gospel to everybody. Um, and, uh, and, and, and to, uh, love and have respect, um, for, uh, the people who are leading us. So it's, uh, it, it is a difficult razor's edge. 
um, to to walk to, to uh, as a as a minister, Scott. I I I think um, you know I I don't worry about saying things uh, you know uh, where I'm opposed to the president because I'm concerned about people that I minister to because I frankly we, the way we do church at Holy Redeemer I have people from every walk of life from every political point of view. And when I need to call, when I need to say something about what I think's wrong with uh, the administration or anything else, I'll speak out. Um, so uh, I'm not tempering my remarks here about prayers. I'm, I'm trying to cover my ass. But I, I I do genuinely think that we need to stay as Christians in a, in a uh, contemplative, humble place in regards to everyone. Yeah, like I, you know? are you saying like in, in a tribal kind of shame based culture like the, the the our culture doesn't need another tribal group right no 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 and we definitely don't i mean uh, you know i i think all of these different factions that are uh, competing for interest in our in our culture um factions of division um the church is supposed to be a place that is always looking for um and the gospel is always looking for ways to connect not divide um, and, um, and, and so I, you know, I'm not, uh, Antifa doesn't inspire me. Um, you know, uh, white supremacy doesn't inspire me. Um, but the gospel does. And, um, and so, and Christ inspires me. And I, and I, I think we can all, um, look to him for, uh, the, the way that we're supposed to be human. Um, he shows us uh, not only what it means to be God, but what it means to be human. And so I'm always coming back in my pastoral ministry to Jesus, um, you know, which is not to say that I, I think sometimes we don't need to be very um, clear about the ways that we, um, you know, disagree with uh, policies and, and the things that some individuals are, are saying or doing in any given moment. Now, you're a guy, as we said before, you're, you're, you know, you've been talking about the significance of the incarnation. I read a lot of stuff you post on social media and things like that. And you mm. seem like a guy that's involved as a pastor in a translation project that, that, that it seems like you're trying to figure out that, that there's some things shifting in late modern culture. And it seems like you're trying to figure out how, how we speak the gospel in some renewed ways, in some contextual ways. And yet often you look backwards, right, for that. Like you, you, oh, absolutely. You're, you're mentored by Tom Oden, the great patristic yeah. thinker, pastoral care guy who became this kind of patristic scholar. And so, yeah, Robert Weber was a big influence too. And I, we knew each other. So it, it, is that, I mean, how, what have you found in your studies in the ancient church that's, I mean, you mentioned the incarnation, but the other things that have been resources that continue to, inform your reimagining of telling the old the old story in a kind of new context yeah um no i that thank you that's uh, exactly what i'm trying to do I, I i do think that we want to get back to um what the first christians were proclaiming uh, and 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 how the first christians were living in the world um we can't do that as an archaeological expedition where we we kind of you know want to re you know we want to reimpose certain time periods we're living in the 21st century but i think that these the, the the these the things that the first christians trusted the person that the first christians trusted uh, as the as the uh, as the revelation of what it means to be god and what it means to be human and the way they lived that trust out is 
is um, translatable across every you know every culture and in every moment. So yeah, the Eucharist was very very important to me. There there's a that there is a ritual that we do that helps us to remember who God is um, and uh, to participate directly in God by taking um, uh, God uh, into ourselves in Jesus in the form of bread and wine. I was just thinking about this driving over today. I'm kind of, I find, kind of find myself in an interesting place between I want to affirm um, the full biblical um, conviction about baptism. I, I was listening to a, a, a pastor a few years ago at a at a baptismal ceremony in, in a megachurch setting. This doesn't mean anything. We're just kind of going through the motions, um, <laughs> you know. This is the, and and I was like, "Are you kidding me? No, 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 no. Baptism is participation in the death and resurrection of Christ. When that person is plunged into water, or that water is poured over their head." or however it is that it happens in any given setting, that person is literally becoming a participant in the death and resurrection. Yeah, N.T. Wright says, right, I think in his commentary in Romans, that like when in Romans 10 when Paul says, you know, if you believe and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, he, I mean, he thinks that that was the baptismal confession. Oh, yeah, oh, that, that, sure. that that actually uh, is, 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 right. is what, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's all tied. And I mean, if you look at the New Testament, baptism is central and so is Eucharist. I want to I want to affirm the full um you know that this is the body and blood of Christ. I mean uh, how it how it is is body and blood of Christ. I don't know, but it is. And so, you know, 1 Corinthians 10 is not the, you know, bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. It's not the uh the cup that we bless a participation in his blood. I want to affirm the fullness of all that. At the same time, I'm not one of these people that is like Let's dot all these I's and cross all these T's of the way this has been culturally uh, handled in the past. Um, so it, it, I, I kind of find myself in a weird position. Some more evangelical, Protestant, free church Christians are, you know, have shied away from the full um, just trust and baptism and Eucharist as the New Testament and as first Christians understood them. At the same time, I think historically, a lot of things have been kind of added to these rites um, and, uh, and expectations about, you know, who's who's welcome at the Eucharist, uh, how you do baptism and all this stuff. And I find people, um, you know, in more traditional settings, my Orthodox brothers, my Catholic brothers, my Anglican brothers, you know, get all really, really concerned. And, and I'm always going back to what, wait, Jesus is saying, don't erect barriers to these things. Don't erect. And I think that's one of the things when we're going to bring some of this truth and some of these experiences into the contemporary setting, we've got to watch not picking up some of these rules and accretions that have kind of latched themselves on to these practices or beliefs uh, that maybe aren't at the heart of um, uh, of, of what they are. Does yeah, no, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Paul's all in systematic theology. It's like eighty seven pages long, but it's great. And he says he thinks one of the church's perennial problems is dealing with the presence of Christ's absence, like in the time between the times, they have the first time. And so he mm. says to to fill in the gap. Oftentimes, there's these anthropological anchors that like objectify and and make us feel like like a existential security blanket. Like if you're a, a conservative evangelical, it's an inerrant Bible. If you're Roman Catholic, it's an inerrant Pope. If you're Pentecostal, it's a second. It's the it's the second birth experience. Or if you're 
you know, Eastern Orthodox, maybe it's this certain understanding of the tradition or if you're, you know, so there are all these things that, that become rather than kind of Christ alone, these become our security blankets. And it's almost like the transfiguration, mm-hmm. like, Hey, you know, let's build a tent here. We've had a good experience, you know, and, and, and they become, they can become yes, idols, you know, yes. quickly. Yes. That's true. And I think one of the great, I mean, I, I've been, you know, involved in the ecum- ecumenical movement for 25 years. And I, I, I think there, there, it's always about Jesus. I, I think, I, I think as a Christian, no matter where you find yourself standing, you're Presbyterian, you're Anabaptist, you're Methodist, you're Anglican, whatever it is, I think when you get a hold of the truth, and this, this happened to me when I started encountering people like Joe Fessio and the Catholic tradition, um, who introduced me to the way they read John 6. And that, that, that part of John's gospel just came alive to me for the first time. You know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. But if you do, you have eternal life, which I had never seen as a Pentecostal. I start praying with my Orthodox brothers and I start seeing the richness of their understanding of the incarnation. I'm, I'm, I'm reading Anabaptists, um, you know, Lutherans. Um, I, you know, from a Pentecostal background, it seems to me that the church is in fact divided in history, but it's when we start to actually engage with the thought and practice of all these different groups. One of the things that I think has happened is I don't think God wanted us divided. I think that's human error. I think that's humanity that's brought these divisions. Uh, Jesus in John 17 says that they let, let them be one as you and I are one and so forth. But uh, I think one of the things that has happened despite all this human division that's occurred is that the Holy Spirit has left gifts in each of these different movements and each of these different churches. And to the extent that you're open to all of these practices and, and gifts and, and things that these churches trust, you begin to see a fuller picture of Jesus. You begin to see who Christ is, um, in a, in a, the mosaic, different parts of the mosaic are brought by these different bodies and you can begin to see the fullness of who Christ is. And this is so, this is absolutely important to me. It sounds like you're saying too, because you're in an Anglican tradition. I mean, you're a sacramental kind of rooted tradition. Yeah. It seems like you're holding it a little loosely so that, that, so that, that, that there's room for Christ to be present. You're not choking out Christ by clinging to the, the practices. I'll put on some of this. I'll put on some of this Bethel music, and there, there's so much of what I would call in Pentecostal tradition. Uh, there may be things I don't appreciate about uh, what they're teaching here, their emphasis, but the music is so anointed. I, I, I went, and that's you know using my Pentecostal uh, language, but I, I, my 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 daughter went to a Lutheran high school and uh, Missouri Synod, and there there's a hymn that a man that's at Concordia St. Louis has written that ought to be ought to be being sung in every church in the world. It's so beautiful and it captures all of these grand moments in the Old Testament leading up to Jesus, but nobody knows it because nobody's hanging out with the synod and maybe that's partially their fault. But, but um, you know, man, we have so much uh, that we can be learning from each other. And uh, when we get stuck and, um, you know, this is, this is how we do it. And this is what we believe. And, uh, and we're not listening, uh, which is what's very important. I think in all this is listening and, and observing and, and, and being willing to have the Holy Spirit speak to you. I, you know, like I said, I'll put the Bethel music on. I'm like, wow, 
there's something they've got a hold of something, even though I think maybe they're over enthusiastic at times or maybe there's some manipulation and things like that that's going on in that prophetic realm. But everybody has something uh, to bring to the As table. A, you've been a pastor for a while and and you're mm. a pretty theological pastor from from what I see and read. I mean, and, and I say that because there are, there are a lot of pastors that aren't there that aren't that aren't. And that doesn't mean they're terrible pastors, but they're not. You know, they're not involved oftentimes in a faith-seeking understanding. Uh, what do you think? What do you think is mm. is a, a theologian or some idea? You know, wh- what do you think that the church really needs to not miss? Like this is a, a movement or some ideas or some thinkers that that are really hold promise from your own reading of flesh. And what's something that you think? Oh my gosh, this is out before it's in. This is a fad or this is really, it looks great, but it's really going to be deleterious to the life of the church. If the, if this idea or these kind of movements kind of spread, it probably will not be helpful. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think uh, larger uh, churches, um, whatever context they are, um, will, won't survive. Um, and so I, I believe, um, and I, you know, of course that's, you know, going to sound self-serving because I, I, I pastor a small church. Uh, but, but I do think that these very, very, very large, uh, churches, multi-campus, um, uh, ministries are going to have a hard time surviving. Um, I, I do believe that the, the moderately small size to moderately large congregation is where, um, you know, we really, uh, enter the incubator of faith and, and, um, and, and we can actually be in relationships and, uh, formed. Uh, by uh, pastors who are actually engaged with the people on a daily basis. Um, I, I think it does take, I think the pastoral task is one of actually being with people like Christ was and not uh, delegating that to, uh, uh, to, to others. Um, uh, and, and that's hard to do beyond a certain setting. I think you need to, uh, have, uh, you need to have a, a universe of people that you're ministering to that, uh, that you can, um, be involved in their lives. Um, that you can, you're the one who, as in the first, as, as was the case of the first Christians, you're the catechist. Um, but you're also the one who's there when somebody gets sick. Um, you are, uh, you're the person who, you know, somebody calls like just if they were, if they had a problem with their teeth or they had a problem with their, their heart, they're going to call a doctor or a dentist. They got a problem with their soul, their family, their marriage, their, um, their, you know, problems in the neighborhood or whatever. They call the priest in to the pastor and the, the, the parson in to, uh, you know, to be there and, and be present. I don't know how you do this ministry. Um, without it being incarnate, without it being uh, something where you're actually living with people. I, one of the things, Tom, I was really strong about was visitation, uh, which is almost absolutely not practiced. So we, we bless lots of homes or, in our ministry. Even I'll bless people's homes that, you know, aren't even part of, because we have a parish understanding. Not every, just, we, we were ministering to the whole area, not just the people who are coming to, uh, to Holy Redeemer, but visitation, just showing up in people's homes and spending time with them, which is impossible to do in a, in a, in a context where, um, you know, and I, and I don't know how people do it. I don't, I honestly don't, I mean, I, I'm not criticizing, but I don't know how somebody does teaching pastor as a teaching pastor in a context with these very, very large congregations and doesn't have any, you know, day to day involvement with people in the trenches of life. Um, I, I, I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the model that uh, Jesus or Paul, 
um, or, you know, Irenaeus or, uh, you know, um, Gregory of Nyssa or anybody else. I mean, these people were uh, with their people. Now, they were also reading and they were also writing and they were, um, you know, but uh, we got to be with the people. My friend Bill and I did this episode of our podcast, New Persuasive Words. It was inspired by this thing we found that Ratzinger wrote for years, years, like in the late 60s or early 70s. He's saying exactly what you were saying. I mean, it's so radical. I mean, his view of what the church would come to look like and basically priests that were bivocational and small churches and these empathetic. I mean, he, I mean, I, I, it was so edgy. <laughs> and it was hard. But I was like, wow, yeah, this guy yeah. wrote this. And like, he's a beautiful, oh, he's yeah, a beautiful I found soul, his, man. His, People get caught. People get caught up in all the, you know, the uh, some of the theological controversies and the way, you know, he he was hard hitting. I think each of these popes have had a reason that they're here and what they're doing. But yeah, he's a he's a beautiful soul. Has a really really amazing and grasp his, with Jesus. You know, books on Jesus of Nazareth are some of the best things I've ever read on, on the ah. Gospels. I mean, I think yeah, just a, just a deep spirituality yeah, and he in just this person. Knows the Bible yeah. in a way. Like his, he just reads the Bible in ways that are imaginative, compelling. Yeah, I, I, I think he's. I mean, yes. I can't say enough good about a lot of his stuff. And 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 you know, kind of open to hey, what what have we learned from uh, the critical tradition? Um, and how how you know, I mean, that's not that's not that's not the most important thing to him. But you know, he's not uh, he's not throwing it out. Um, yeah, and I so, wonder too, like how yeah. much of that tradition, like you know, I find. American Christianity is because, like the fundamentalist modernist controversy, we have this relationship with higher criticism that in some places, certain places in Europe, they just don't. You could be very orthodox, like Karl Ratzinger, and then you take oh, higher sure. criticism very seriously as a German, a scholar, and I, it, it's weird that for in in America, it's it's sort of like, well, if you take it seriously, you're you're going to be a liberal, and you're not, you're going to have a kind of watered down, you know, mo- uh, modern right. in, in the reduction sense right. Christianity, or yeah, it's it's just a, he doesn't seem to have those kind of by bi- like simplistic bifurcations, right? And for me, I think it comes it, it came from a love of reading. Uh, Robert Alter, who's a Jewish author, um, uh, was very in- influential for me, and just a sense of if you're going to love these texts, and he wrote a book. That's called a great book. That's a great is, book. Uh, so so beautiful, right? And he doesn't have any axe to grind or any agenda, but he starts to he starts to show you how you can read this text at several levels, and and, uh, and you know it, it doesn't it doesn't make it, it because you love the thing that you're reading. Um, it, it speaks to you, and uh, it, it's not you, you're the subject um, of what you're reading. Um, you're you're not imposing, and um, you're not dissecting. Uh, it's a living thing, and I and I think um, so. Yeah, it's it's important. That's a beautiful if, book. If you were going to say in just a couple sentences, if you're going to explain to someone who was not a part of a traditional church or, you know, they're on the margins of faith or they were consider themselves not a Christian or not part of any church. And you're going to say, well, here's what I preach. Like, here's how I look at preaching. Like they are asking, what do you do every Sunday? How do you, how would you describe to them what you're doing when you get up and preach on a Sunday morning to your congregation? Yeah. I, 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 I would not recommend, I mean, I, you know, um, I, I, I don't think that I'm somebody to necessarily follow, but I, I'm paying close attention to how God is speaking to me in relationships and conversations, even this one, 
um, you know, uh, being in a position of a contemplative position where I am aware of how God is trying to speak to me through all sorts of people and all sorts of circumstances. And uh, in my pastoral life, I'm trying to see where all the connections are being made and what's being spoken to me. And then I am looking at, uh, we, we preach from the lectionary. Um, I've become much more of a lectionary preacher um, in, uh, in uh, I don't know, middle age or whatever it is I am. And uh, I, I enjoy it quite a bit. I'm looking at those texts in light of the things that are happening in my pastoral ministry and happening in the life of my flock. Um, and, uh, and then I, you know, I get up and try to speak the gospel in a way that intersects with, um, how, what, what we're all walking through right now. So it's very different, right? Than somebody showing up and, uh, kind of bringing a particular, uh, word, uh, from outside the context of the local parish. Um, you know, my, my sermons have a lot of my life and on the life of our congregation, um, is, is there in what we're, what we're proclaiming. But we're also looking at, at all of these texts as how do they speak to us? Uh, the Old Testament, uh, the New Testament readings, the letters of the apostles, the gospels. How do each of them reveal Christ to us? That's, you know, I want to know where is Christ in this text? Um, and what is God doing? What's God up to? Um, in this text. And I, you know, I, I, I've always been in that orientation, but our friends, Jason Michelle and, and Taylor Mertens and, you know, Fleming and others have, you know, really kind of, uh, you know, made that conviction very central to me is, uh, what's God, how has God been active in our, our, in my, in our life this week? And how is God active in this text? And what's he up to, you know? Um, what do you, so. what do you think as a pastor who, again, is in, you know, late modern, North, and I, I'm like, I'm a lot like my friend Rob Bell. I, you know, I I, I it's all mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. me, and I I just put it in me. I don't read it a manuscript. I very rarely do that. I found that when I was reading a manuscript, I I was I, it was a pride thing because I can do I can really say things well if I write it all out, but there wasn't the same kind of quality of connection with the people in the pews. If I wasn't just bringing it from the inside, just put it inside of me. So one of the things I have to do is I don't talk much on, on Sunday morning. I don't, you know, and get into long conversations because I have this, you know, very structured, uh, you message. You don't want to blurt it out in coffee. I'm ready to, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, it, it, you don't want to get all kinds of other things in your head so that that, that w- what you're trying to carefully say that you've put in, yourself over the week. Um, I just find that for me and everybody's different, um, that the ability to connect, I walk out into the congregation. I will, um, you know, uh, very much eye contact is very important to me. Um, and it's gotta be, it, it just feels, I don't know, for me, it just feels right. It, it, it's like, this is either something that is I've internalized and, um, and I'm able to speak. Um, but for me, it was kind of a pride thing. I, you know, I, 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 you know, man, this sounds really, really good. And I, it's, it was harder for me to do the extemporaneous thing, but when I started doing it, um, I found greater fruit. And that's just for me. I like all of these comments about preaching, I think are, 
you know, I, I, I want to just say, you know, I, I, it's like everybody's got to find their, their but level. But don't you think, though, I think the hard thing about manuscript preachers in today's day and age, in Jonathan Edwards' day, it's different. Or, But now everyone that people see on a screen, even if they are reading, they don't look like they're reading because they're on prompters and they're and most of them are good at reading prompters. So even if they're reading, they don't look like they're reading. So I feel like as a pastor, if you're reading a prepared statement to someone, it, it it's going to seem, and it could be the most sincere words, but it's going to come off as not connecting because people are used to in media, people not mm-hmm. reading to them. Whereas, you know, in Jonathan Edwards' day, they're not yeah. watching TV all the time. You know, like, like people... Right. People, you're sitting down in the living room and somebody's got yeah. foresight sermons out and, you know, they're, they're, you know, or Augustine or something and they're reading it to you. That's, that's a, that's a, that's helpful. Um, I think that's probably true. Um, and of course, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I used to preach longer and I, I, I think I'm coming to a, a point of understanding that uh, preaching has to be shorter. Uh, that's been a, that's been a real struggle for me. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't have a problem. And I think if you talk to my flock, I don't have a problem holding people's attention. Uh, but, um, but I, I really want our services to not be sermon centric. I, I, you know, the prayers of the people have become very important to us. Um, we do a lot of uh, music with the prayers of the people and chanting, um, the prayers. Uh, I want to have time for that. I want to have time for contemplation and silence and reflection, uh, confession. I want to have time for the Eucharist. I, I want to have time for listening to the word of God. As we, as you know, and I think this is where you worship too. We're listening to, I mean, this Sunday, there's a long passage from Exodus that we're going to sit down. Now, you mentioned Rob Bell, who I know is a friend of yours and has... Well, I mean, we're we're acquainted. We're not. Close. Well, well, I know because if you were, you'd move to L.A. Everybody just acquainted. moves to L.A. Once you get close to him, it seems like. The, but you know, he's the guy that has tried to interpret the faith for sort of tumultuous or changing times. And, and you're a guy that you're oh, probably yeah, one of the yeah. most effective communicators of the of the gospel. I think in our in our moment. And you're a guy that's pretty ecumenically connected. I mean, you you talk with and are engaged with lots of different kinds of Christians. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing the church today in our context? The thing that really we're going to have to, we're, that's facing the, the whole church in, say, North America that really is going to have to be wrestled with if we're going to flourish and bear witness you know, to the good news of Jesus Christ in this space and time. Easily the most, I think, um, difficult task is the one of of decoupling uh, the church um, from uh, the nation. Um, uh, I, I mean, I think Howard Voss and, and others, you know, who've really, really spent a lot of time reflecting on this and speaking prophetically to it, um, were right. It's becoming more and more of a crisis. Um, you know, uh, we, we, have, we have our own unique um, uh, polis, we have our own unique message. Uh, we have our own unique trust. Um, we have our own unique Lord. Um, we have our own unique emperor, <laughs> um, Jesus. Uh, and um, uh, we're, we're in the world, but not of it. And we need a lot, lot, yeah, lot Yeah, recovering the particularity. It's interesting because, you know, Donald Trump makes it pronounced, but those guys have been talking about this for years, <laughs> and, uh, the problem right and left. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no 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 no. It's it, this is right not a yeah, right this is not right. I think you're right of, of Donald Trump. No no no. This is a problem on both sides. 
Um, you know, um, the, 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 you know, the church is, I mean, you know, you almost don't want to even say both sides right now in this context because, uh, so people got uh, so upset about, um, that and rightly so, uh, when, when the president said, you know, there was problems on many side when he should have just forcefully, um, uh, condemned, um, white supremacy. But, uh, yeah, it's a problem for the whole church. Um, the, um, uh, there are certain portions of the church that are aligned with um, what you might call progressive or left or democratic, uh, et cetera, uh, Democrat uh, politics. And then there are parts of the church that seem to be more aligned with the Republican and conservative, traditional, whatever label you want. And, and it's a problem on both sides. Um, you know, being, uh, you know, anticipating that the, that the culture, the, the, pol- the, that politics is the way that we're going to make uh, lasting and effective change, um, in the culture. And, and I, I'm not somebody, I'm not somebody who believes that. Uh, I, I believe, um, uh, that, uh, reconnecting people, uh, helping people to remember who they are, um, as human beings under God is the task, uh, of the church. Um, I, I, I think Christians should be involved in, in government. I think they should be involved in every aspect of life. Um, you know, as good politicians, as good artists, as good filmmakers, as good musicians, as good doctors and so forth. Um, but, uh, but, but man, we are so interconnected. We, I think that for many Christians, the same feeling that they have singing Amazing Grace is the same feeling they have singing, uh, the national anthem. And that's, that's got to, we've got to be able to distinguish between there's nothing wrong with being a patriot. There's nothing wrong with loving your country, but we, we're aliens. We, we, we also have this other allegiance that that's, is and That's a good word, Kenneth. Thanks for spending some time talking with me on the podcast. Oh man, love it. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're grateful for all that you're doing, uh, especially with the new lectionary podcast and, uh, so God bless you, man. It's really, you know, it's just great to, to have gotten to know you as a friend and, um, you're reading people that I had no <laughs> idea existed. And, um, and so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, and, and, and just the kind of, um, uh, insatiable appetite for so many things. You, you're just, uh, your, your intellectual curiosity about, uh, about life and culture and uh, the faith is, is Ken, is you're really, incredibly uh, kind. And I'll, I'll have you back on. And you'll be on the lecturing podcast soon, too. So listen for that, folks, if you listen to it. Thanks. Peace of Christ be with you. Amen. Thanks for listening to Give and Take. If you like what you heard, please do a couple things for me. They are so helpful if you do them. Share this interview on social media or via email. Or tag someone in a tweet or something and say, hey, this is great. Check it out. Spread the love and goodness if you found it here. Also, if you could go, please, 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 it takes like 60 seconds. Go to iTunes and write a review. Give a, give a rating to the podcast. It really, really helps, especially as things are getting off the ground. And if you want to consider becoming a Patreon sponsor, you can just go right to the link on the podcast page, giveandtake.fireside.fm. You can find all the information there. Thanks much to Kenneth Tanner for coming on the podcast today, and thank you again for listening. And until next time, fare thee well.